If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? This is the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Well, good morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So good to see so many of you in the room today. Some of you haven't seen uh, here in person for quite some time. So grateful that you're able to be with us today. Welcome back. Welcome home. So glad you're here. For all of you who are watching online today, thank you for joining us for Church Online. I know we have people in the room and people watching online who maybe it's your first time or your first time in a long time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're in the middle of this series that we're simply calling lost sheep. And here's the, the question that's really behind this entire series. It's a question that we've asked before, but I feel like it's, it's one of those questions we have to keep asking over and over again just to remember why we're here. And it's this question. Is there anything that you wouldn't do to help someone have an encounter with Jesus? Is there anything that you wouldn't do to help someone have an encounter with Jesus? And maybe before we ask and answer that question, we have to ask this question, and it's a real simple question. Why? Why are we here? Why are we here? It was 11 a.m. on August 28, 1963, when, when something happened that you might say changed our country forever. Uh, that day, nearly a quarter million of a people descended on Washington, D.C., to hear one man speak. And what was so incredible about that, at least what, one of the many things that's incredible about that moment and that day for me, is that there wasn't a website where you could go and check and see you know, what was happening and what time the event was and where you needed to be and where you could stay if you were coming from out of town and where you should park and, and you know, who was going to be on the, the speaker list that day. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't anything on social media because social media didn't exist. Uh, there, it was just one of those things and you wonder how in the world did all those people know where to be and when to be there and what time it was starting and how do they, how do they know all of this? And why did they come? Well, they all came to hear Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speak that day. And they came because they believed what he believed, that, that it was time for a change. It was time for, for everyone to have civil rights. It was time for those who, who you know, everyone who was created equally to be treated equally. And so they all came that day to hear him speak. And even today... When, when we hear the words, I have a dream, we get inspired. We get inspired by that. What's interesting, though, is that there were, there were other leaders back in those days, just like there are our leaders right now in our, in our own day, that cared about and continue to care about those same issues, those same causes, those same problems. But so many people have been have, been, have found it difficult to make any headway in those, in those areas. 
they see the problem like, like you and I see problems, and they think, well, this is what we should do, and this is how we should do it. But what was interesting about Dr. Martin Luther King that day is he didn't stand before a quarter million people in front of that microphone and say, I have a plan. He said, I have a dream. Uh, in his book, Start With Why, Simon Sinek writes about that moment, and he makes this observation. I want you to hear these words. He writes, what if Martin Luther King had delivered a comprehensive 12-point plan about achieving civil rights in America, a plan more comprehensive than any other plan for civil rights ever offered? Booming through the speakers that summer's day in 1963, his message would have been loud, but his belief would not have been clear. You see, Martin Luther King Jr., he didn't come that day to say, I have a plan. He came that day to say, I have a dream. He had a vision about how the world should be. But you know, like I know, he wasn't the first to come. To come with a vision of how the world should be. About 2,000 years ago, a man by the name of Jesus came. And he too came with a vision of how the world should be. And I'm not really sure. I'd be interested to know, wouldn't you? I, I don't know if Jesus ever stood before an actual crowd of a quarter million people or more. Maybe he did, possibly. We know that at certain times he spoke to great crowds and great multitudes. I don't know how large those got back in those days. It seemed like more often than not when Jesus gathered to speak and to teach, he gathered with, with smaller groups of people. When, and whenever he did, he often used stories to share his vision of how the world should be. And he didn't come with a 12-point plan of, uh, of this is how it's going to work and this is the problem, this is how to fix it. Jesus also came with this vision of, hey, this is, how, this is how it's supposed to be. This is how the world is supposed to be. And, and this is what I'm up to in the world and this is what God is up to in the world. And by the way, if this is, what I, if this is why I came and this is what I'm up to, maybe, maybe you those who've come to listen, those who've come to learn, maybe it's a, a time for you to ask those same questions. Why are you here? And what are you up to in the world? His stories had this amazing way that, that made those who came to listen ask really hard questions. And he challenged what they believed and how they lived just through the power of a story. So if you have your, your scripture, your Bible, or if you have the Version Bible app, I want to encourage you this morning, open back up to Luke 15. We're just, we're just kind of sitting in, dwelling in this story, this text, the, these words of Jesus. And in Luke 15, starting in verse 3, Luke tells the story this way. Luke writes, so Jesus told them this story. Jesus said, if, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous. And haven't strayed away. Jesus uses this story to say, this is, 
why I'm here, and this is what I'm up to in the world, and this is what God is up to in the world. I'm here to search for the lost sheep. But before Jesus tells the story, Luke sets up the scene. And what I want to do is I want to back up just a couple of verses, and I want to really dial in this morning on how how Luke sets up the scene before Jesus tells the story. So back up with me to verses 1 and 2, and listen to what Luke writes. He writes this in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. You see, Jesus tells a story in part because these Pharisees and these religious leaders are complaining about who Jesus is spending time with. Why, why were they complaining? They were complaining because they had forgotten who they were and why they were there. Why were they there? The Pharisees and these religious teachers of the law, they were, they were looked up to in Jewish society. These were the people who were, who were looked up to as people who, who knew the Word of God, who understood the Word of God, who had the responsibility of sharing and teaching the people the Word of God for the people of God. This was their job. This is why they were there. But they had forgotten who they were, and they had forgotten why they were there. And this was true then, just like this is true now. Whenever we forget why we're here, things that should matter don't matter. And things that shouldn't matter do. They had spent all their time learning and studying and reading the law of Moses, their scriptures, so that they could teach the people the word of God. And if you had asked them, why are you guys here? Why did you spend all that time learning and studying and and, and coming to understand the word of God for the people of God? They probably would have told you, this is our purpose. This is why we're here. We're here to teach the people and call them to repentance. But, but do you know what repentance meant for them? Calling people to repentance, it meant, it meant calling people to keep their rules, to, to live by the requirements that they had set up and established, and to uphold the traditions that they had put in place. In fact, they had, they had created so many rules and so many requirements, and, and they had so many traditions that they had, they had placed, uh, put in place for the people that it made it hard. For people who wanted to come to God to come to God. Instead of making it easy for people to come to God, they had erected barriers and obstacles that made it difficult for people to come to God. Here's what I want you to think about, though. What if when Luke told this story, what if Luke had written this? What if he had written, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach? And this made the Pharisees and religious leaders excited that someone was able to reach those who, for whatever reason, were far from God. Or or what if Luke had set up the story this way? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the religious leaders realize there shouldn't be anything they wouldn't do to reach those who, for whatever reason, are far from God. Or what if, when Luke set up this story, he had written it this way? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach, and this made 
the Pharisees and religious leaders set aside their hesitations, their reservations, and even their traditions to join Jesus in bringing people back to God. What if the story had started that way? What if those people at that time who were looked up to in Jewish society as people who knew the word of God and understood the word of God, what if they had seen Jesus and understood his heart and his desire for those who were far from God and instead of resisting him, instead of holding the line with their rules and their requirements and their traditions, what if they had laid all that down and gotten excited and gotten behind Jesus and joined Jesus in what he was doing in the world? What if? What happens when we forget why we're here? What happens is that things that should matter don't matter. And things that should matter, shouldn't matter do. Jesus tells a story to remind them that this is what is most important. And this is why I'm here. And this story, it had, it had multiple meanings, right, for multiple different people in the audience. Hey, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, this is why you're here. You're here to shepherd God's sheep. You're here to, to be about the work of, of bringing those who are far from God home to God. Those of you who are in the audience and you are tax collectors and you're notorious sinners, you, 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 those of you who identify as the lost sheep in the story, here's what I want you to know. There's nothing you could ever do that would make God love you less. There's no place you can go that is so far away that God wouldn't go and search for you and find you and bring you back home. And Jesus himself is saying in the story, this is who I am. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm up to in the world. This is why God sent me. I'm here to find lost sheep. And there's nothing I wouldn't do. For those of you who are lost and know you're lost, and those of you who are lost and don't know you're lost, Jesus is saying, hey, I came for all of you, Pharisees and notorious sinners, religious teachers of the law and tax collectors. I came for all of you to bring all of you back home to God, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. I would even die for you. Whatever it takes to make a way for you to come back, and come home to God. And over and over and over again, Jesus not only told stories trying to demonstrate and, and reveal this truth to everyone who would listen, but he just said it as plain as he could over and over again. He said, this is why I've come. I've come to seek and save the lost. This is why I've come, so, so that whoever believes in me wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. This is why I've come. I've come not to call the righteous, but I've come to call those who know they are sinners and need to repent. This is why I came. And if this is why Jesus came, and if this is what Jesus is up to in the world, I think the question for you and the question for me is why are we here? And what are we supposed to be up to? In the world. A few weeks ago, um, my daughter came down uh, stairs for breakfast. Emma, she's in third grade. She sat down at the table, and I was sitting there with her. And she looked at me, and she asked this question. She said, "Dad, do you believe in hell?" 
I mean, I'm on my first cup of coffee, people. I mean, this is the first thing. Not good morning, not what's for breakfast, not is my waffle ready, can I get some eggs? Dad, do you believe in hell? Well, before I answered that question, I thought, I need, to, I need to figure out what's going on in her little head. You know, what, why is she asking this question? So I said, well, you know, wh- why do you ask? What are you thinking about? What's going on? And she said, well, you know, I've got these friends at school. And she starts calling her friends off by name. And she says, you know, they don't, they don't go to church. And very quickly I began to realize she's asking me what I believe about heaven, what I believe about hell, because she's worried about her friends. I'll be honest with you, we've, we've talked about heaven, we've talked about hell in our family, but we don't talk about it a lot. But in that moment, it crystallized for me this incredible truth, that when we forget why we're here, things that should matter don't matter, and things that shouldn't matter do. See, here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus cares about lost people like my daughter cares about lost people. And Jesus doesn't just care about lost people because they're his friends, although clearly many of them were. In fact, that's one of the reasons that the Pharisees and the religious teachers hated Jesus so much, because he spent so much time with people that they called tax collectors and notorious sinners. And it drove them crazy. But Jesus doesn't just love lost people because they're his friends. You know, like I know, that Jesus loves lost people because he created them. He knows every one of them by name. He knows everything about them. And there's nothing that he wouldn't do to help them find their way back to God. So why are you here? I think what happens for so many of us, including myself, okay, is that more often than not, what's going to matter a thousand years from now just doesn't matter a whole lot right now. But I can't stop thinking about that question my daughter asked that morning. And I just wonder what would happen. What would happen in you? What would happen in me? What would happen in us if what's going to matter a thousand years from now really mattered right now? What would happen in you and what would happen in me if what matters most to God mattered most to us? Is there anything you wouldn't do to help someone have an encounter with Jesus? A few years after the resurrection, there was a former Pharisee by the name of Paul. And he believed so deeply in the message of Jesus. He believed so deeply in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that he spent the rest of his life traveling the known world And telling as many people as possible about the story of Jesus and the love of God. And I want you to hear one thing this man by the name of Paul once wrote. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, I have become all things to all people 
so that by all possible means I might save some. Why are we here? I think we're here for the exact same reason. We're here to share with as many people as possible, by whatever means possible, the good news of our God who saves. This is why we're here. We're here to share with as many people as possible, by whatever means possible, the good news of our God who saves. And so as we continue in these days, leaning into the story, this teaching of Jesus about the lost sheep, I want to invite you to keep praying this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, help me love the lost the way you love the lost. Help me love those who are far from God the way you love those who are far from God. And I want to invite you, we we talked about this last week, but I want to invite you again today to to, to pray as you walk. Uh, Here's the challenge before us in these days ahead, and and I'm really getting excited about this because I I know some of you have already done it this week. I've seen some of your responses, and it's it's exciting to read. I, I did it myself this week in my own neighborhood. But to walk your neighborhood, to walk the streets, and what I would love to say is true is that that we've walked every neighborhood where we live, and we've walked every neighborhood in the city of Capel where our church lives. We want to pray over every house, every household, every family, every mother, every father, every son, every daughter, every man, every woman, every child, praying. Praying that God would do what only he can do. Praying that God would reach those who are far from him for whatever reason. Praying as you walk by every house that God would drive out the darkness and let the light of Jesus invade that house, invade that space, invade that place. Praying as you walk along that whatever, whatever evil exists in that street or in that home, whatever, whatever demons they're dealing with, whatever struggles or situations or circumstances are going on in that family, in that household, in that place, that God would, would drive that out and God would be about the work of bringing the lost sheep home and that God would use us in whatever way he could, to be the kind of people that invited people back into relationship with him. You see, when Jesus called people to repentance, he wasn't calling them to keep a set of rules, to keep a list of requirements, or uphold a set of traditions. When Jesus called people to repentance, he called them to follow him. He called them into relationship. And this is part of what we want to be about as a church, to be a kind of church that is inviting Inviting people, yes, to church, but even more than that, inviting people into relationship with us and even more importantly with God. To to, to walk your streets and to pray for those on your streets, to pray for those here in this city who for whatever reason are far from God, realizing that not everybody has what we have here. Knowing that there are people who need a faith family, brothers and sisters, a faith community to come to, to rely on, to lean on. To know that every person that lives in this place, every person that lives on your street, even more than that, needs Jesus. And he's the light of Christ in their life. I'm I'm getting really excited about this, and I want to challenge you to do this. If you haven't done this yet, that's totally fine. But I would challenge every person in our church, whether you're watching online, you can do this at home. If you're here today, I want to challenge you in the room. What if every person in our church, just once a week, did one prayer walk for 20 minutes. Walking and praying as you go, inviting God. Inviting God to do what only God can do. You can just pray that simple prayer over and over again. God, as I'm walking, as I'm praying, as I'm seeing this house and that house, help me love the lost the way you love the lost. 
You can just walk, and as you walk, pray, God, whatever's going on, I don't even know those people. God, I pray for them. God, I can see there's a yard sign. They've got a senior. As you walk along, you're just praying for people, and you're asking God to do what only God can do. And you never know what's going to happen. You may be praying and walking, and you may get interrupted by somebody. By the way, that's okay. That may be a God moment. Take time to stop and talk, and maybe even ask your neighbor, what's going on? What can I be praying for you? What would happen if we started praying for those who live in this city, who live in your neighborhoods? God, would you move once again in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in our city? Would you call all of those who are lost to come home and come back to God? I get excited about what God could do in our city, but I get even more excited about what God could do in our hearts. But what God could do in you and me as we begin to care about what God cares about. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. I wasn't there that day in 1963, but I still get inspired when I hear those words, I have a dream. But what inspires me even more is the dream that I believe God has for this church, that we could partner with him, that we could join Jesus in his work in this world to invite those who, for whatever reason, are far from God to come home to God. And I don't know about you, but I do envision this. One day I'm going to stand before God just like you're going to stand before God. And I don't know exactly how it's going to go down, but... I figure one way or another, we're either going to stand alone or we're going to stand with those that we've shared the love of Jesus with. And I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to look back and wish or think or regret that I would have done more. You know, before a big game, coach always tells his team, leave it all on the field. He doesn't want those players to come back to the locker room and wish or think or regret that they could have done more while they were on the field. In the very same way, I want to encourage us in these days, let's be a people who are living our lives in such a way that when we stand before our Father in heaven, we won't have any regrets. That we can say, we shared the love of God with as many people as possible, by whatever means possible. We wanted everyone to know of the great love of our God who saves. Church, if you would, let's pray. God, this is our prayer. That you would help me, that you would help us love the lost the way you love the lost. That you would help us to be the kind of people that are inviting people into relationship, yes, with us, but even more so with you, God, that you would break down walls and barriers in our lives, in our church, in, in our communities, walls that keep people from you and allow us to be people who are inviting people to come near you. God, would you make us a church of people who are out looking for those who are the lost sheep, those who for whatever reason are far from you. And God, would you remind us every single day that on more than one occasion, we were the ones on your shoulders that you carried home. And God, because of that, we come before you in faith, in humility, in hearts full of gratitude. And we say thank you. And we say, would you use us? Would you use us in the lives of others to help others come to know this same great love that we've experienced in our own lives? Jesus, help us love the lost.
the way you love the lost. We pray in your name. Amen.